This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Well, good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. And uh, I have a very special guest on today. Before I introduce her, I want to put in a little personal uh, plea to everyone. As uh, many of you know, I went to school at LSU and practiced law in Baton Rouge for 37 years, lived there, raised a family there. And uh, my oldest daughter lives there now, and we still have some relatives there and numerous, numerous friends. And uh, we're going to be going this weekend to Ruston, Louisiana, to visit my uh, new grandbaby, little baby girl. And we're going to be taking with us everything we can pack in our car in the way of clothing, toys, toiletries, bedding, all for the people in Baton Rouge. My oldest daughter is going to drive to Ruston and meet us and take it all back with her. They need everything. They now have 145,000 homes in Baton Rouge and surrounding areas that have been either totally destroyed or heavily damaged. They have thousands of people who are homeless, thousands more who have lost everything, including uh, relatives and friends of mine. I've already sent some money over. Now we're going to supply uh, the goods we can. Uh, I would encourage everybody to go to the Baton Rouge Foundation website or to the uh, Samaritan's Purse, which is run by uh, Graham Franklin and uh, Franklin Graham, and donate because these people are hurting bad, and we don't know how long the recovery is going to take years. Uh, this is the worst flooding that they've ever had in Baton Rouge, and I lived there through floods, so uh, please check into that. Now, my guest today is Victoria Taft, who is from the state of Oregon. She is a well-known talk show host up there, in fact, an award-winning one. She's a columnist, and so she's going to talk to us today about some of the really strange things that have been going on in Oregon. Not strange when you think about it in the context of who we have in the White House and uh, the career criminal we have running for the White House. But, Victoria, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. And I totally coincide my views with yours with respect to Baton Rouge. And I love Samaritan's First. And I hope that people give selflessly to that organization to help the victims of the Baton Rouge uh, flooding and uh, our prayers are there, too. I'm currently living in the state of California. That's because I escaped one people's republic for yet another. And so I have seen the beginnings of crazy leading to where it ultimately will be, starting, let's say, in Oregon, and seeing the net result of that in the state of California. Uh, I've been watching the state of Oregon for many years as a talk show host and as a person who's done her own website and blogging and that sort of thing, taking apart certain issues. I have um, taken that blogging issue, uh, what I do for blogging, and I write for a national publication, an online publication now. I'm seen on One American News Network as a contributor, and I continue to do my duties as a talk show host, soon to be starting my own podcast and paying paying a special attention to the case that I think got me your notice, and that that has to do with Michael Strickland, the uh, who happens to be a friend of mine, and 
that case out of the city of Portland, uh, where he pulled a gun on protesters who were converging on him and intending, we believe, to do him harm. Yeah, this was the uh, one of the cases I want to talk to you about because all of this basically started with the Hammonds. And these were a couple of ranchers. And Don Trudell, a mutual friend of ours, has yeah. been on the show to talk about this. And But he says you actually know more about it than he does. The Hammonds were a couple of ranchers in Oregon. And they owned a ranch adjacent to some federal lands. And a fire broke out on the federal property. And they set a backfire to try to protect their own property. They were ultimately charged by the federal government and ended up pleading guilty to minor charges, they thought. Then the federal judge decided that they were actually guilty of terrorism, which is unbelievable, and sent them to jail outside of the state of Oregon. This led to a protest uh, in, in the state. And what can you tell us about that protest? I know Ryan Bundy was involved and others were involved. Who else was involved in that protest? Well, I don't know all the details of this particular incident, except that they took over a federal reserve, and it was uh, basically an outbuilding, and uh, they decided to take a stand there and say, look, this is ridiculous. You can't do that. We're going to defy orders. They actually had the local sheriff on their side, and they said that they refused to acknowledge the federal government's role in being able to deprive someone of their liberty and of their property and in, in doing something that was as innocuous as what the Hammonds did, which was to set a backfire. And the purpose of setting a backfire is to stop a fire, to more quickly burn it out, thus saving the vaunted land that the federal government claims it is trying to preserve and save. They have to understand something. In the state of Oregon, the management of property and the, the management of federal lands as well as state lands has been bastardized to the extent that uh, now what happens is if, for instance, a fire starts, the priority of the firefighters as dictated by the federal government, state government, isn't necessarily life and property. It's to preserve as many trees as possible. Um, well, actually, technically, let me backtrack on that. It's it's really that people are not necessarily their um, biggest priority. The biggest priority is to continue the ecosystem of the, uh, the trees, forest, and the uh, land. Now, the reason that's important is because when what they do is they allow the fire, if it happens to be a fire, to burn out and burn everything, uh, including all the forest. These trees that they claim to want to preserve are not preserved. Rather, they're allowed to burn out, releasing all their carbon, which they claim is cause of global warming. It just goes on and on, and the absurdity goes on. Now, uh, and, and so it's especially ironical and rich that they would then go after the this family, this Oregon family, for setting a backfire, because that's exactly what they do. 
And so the pre- the pretext upon which they did this this uh, move was was flawed to begin with. The, the authorities flawed to begin with. So I take issue with what they what the federal government did um, as, as to the Hammonds, obviously, and and uh, the other property owners who knew that if the federal government was allowed to jail someone to deprive someone of their liberty for the reason of doing something on the land, their land, and then adjacent to their land to preserve their land, um, if they can't do that, then what in tarnation uh, are they supposed to do? And that was what their, their thought was. And, of course, it's totally absurd. Um, it's, but that is the crazy um, property and land decisions that we find um, being made on behalf of uh, the United States, depriving people of their land, making decisions that I think are bizarre, etc. Well, you're absolutely correct there. And let me put it in this, because I've been studying this for years. I was a Boy Scout leader for years, and occasionally we had to do some control burns on our scout camp so that we wouldn't have forest fires. And we actually had to fight a forest fire at one point when I was in the scouts. And I began to research this and found out that the tree huggers, as I call them, uh, started going after the federal government to stop doing control burns. Now, control burns are fires that are set to burn the underbrush, basically that surrounds the trees, and so the tree, there won't be forest fires, because that's where the fires start, when that underbrush gets too thick. And because of the stopping of the control burns, that is exactly why we have these so many of these uncontrollable wildfires out there. It's because of federal policy. Do you agree with that, that's Victoria? Right. Oh, I totally agree with it. In fact, that's part and parcel of what I was saying, although you bring up more details. In terms of, I mean, these are the people, the tree huggers, as you call them, these are the people who don't allow salvage logging. These are the dead and dying uh, trees that have fallen and are not going to go anywhere except to rot away and become nursing logs, and, and the and the eco uh, folks did not want the state of Oregon to go and salvage those logs to sell at a time when lumber was a, at a high price, and because they said, well, that's, you know, you're just going to go and cut down trees, and we don't trust you. Now, I mean, if, if the federal and state governments do their jobs, then they should be able to trust them, but... Um, they point to things in the past that the loggers have done that, that they feel were just underhanded. And so now they base all of their decisions on what may have been, you know, a one-off or uh, what have you in the past. And so this is an issue. This is a problem. And uh, so uh, as a result, you, had, you now have conflagration. I mean, these are the same people, Michael, who say that they want to save the world from global warming, and that, in fact, global warming is caused by CO2, which is what you and I exhale every time we take a breath. And they say that this is a precursor to higher temperatures, which is in wild dispute, and in fact, it's probably not true, uh, based upon the experts I have seen and listened to. Now, so what happens when these forests go up in flames? Well, as we all know, or we should know, and if you don't, now you will know 
these forests, vast forest lands, which are essentially, I mean, these are the demigods of the state of Oregon Democrats. These are huge sinks of, you know, huge sinks where carbon dioxide resides, because as we all know from our lesson in sixth grade photosynthesis, that plants use CO2 and emit oxygen. Therefore, these trees are huge sinks um, where, where CO2 is stored. When the fire that they allow to take off and turn into a conflagration occurs, it releases vast amounts of CO2 into the air, causing even more global warming, as if the temperatures from the fire didn't contribute to it. I mean, it's just, believe me, when you start asking these guys questions, they will just, they will amaze you with their, their absurd answers. I mean, so well, that's what goes on. They're jumping in, too, and then claiming that the flooding in, in Louisiana was caused by global warming, which oh, the scientists I know are saying is absolutely not, absolute nonsense. But uh, anyway, we need to take our first break now, Victoria. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back, everyone. And my guest today is Victoria Taft, who is a, a award-winning talk show host who now lives in... Uh, California, and as she says, she's moved out of the uh, People's Republic of Oregon to the People's Republic of California. I don't know how good that is because I refuse to live in either one. When I was offered the position of uh, taking over the executive director of the U.S. Justice Foundation a few years back, and I'm currently serving in that position, I told them that would be great, but the headquarters was in California, and I was not going to move out there, so they told me I could handle it from wherever I wanted, so that's why I'm in East Texas. But uh, Victoria and I have been talking about the situation 
in Oregon with what happened to the Hammond family, which were a couple of ranchers who were, as far as I'm concerned, illegally and unconstitutionally arrested for doing what they needed to do to protect their family. And then that escalated there to a situation where some other ranchers, yeah, including Ryan Bundy uh, from the, uh, the Bundys in uh, Nevada, uh, they went in and supposedly occupied a federal reserve. Well, actually, that was that property was abandoned by the federal government. It had been sitting vacant, and this building was vacant. It, there wasn't even a lock on the building, as far as I know. They went in there to shelter so they could protest. Uh, there were the feds surrounded them. Of course, the Bureau of Land Management, which is interesting, to, uh, the uh, BLM, and we all know that that is the same initials of another group out there called Black Lives Matter. But the BLM surrounded them, and they started negotiating, and they wanted to go see a sheriff who was a friendly sheriff in the next county over. So they said they were going to uh, leave the place. They were going to drive over there. And during the course of that, according to uh, uh, my friend John Trudell, uh, there was an ambush set up. And it was set up by the Oregon State Police and apparently uh, the federal government. And a rancher from Arizona named Boyd Finnegan was basically shot down in cold blood and killed. And then they arrested a whole bunch of people, including Ryan Bundy. And my understanding is that a lot of these people are being held in jails in Oregon. They are not allowed to see an attorney. They have, the formal charges against them are really unclear. Uh, they've been charged basically for, for thoughts. Some people have pled guilty to doing a like on Facebook. Uh, the whole thing is pretty bizarre. And what, what more can you tell us about all that, Victoria? Well, I have to confess, I, I'm not up to speed on this particular trial, but let me just say that I, you, of all people, have got to be more outraged about the fact that these people might, might in fact, be being deprived of their Sixth Amendment rights to an attorney. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I, I did. I have not heard that. I do know that they're in jail, and I do know that because they were uh, in the same building as my friend who was in jail for a while because of this bogus gun charge. And uh, I think John, what John's really concerned about, John Trudell, our mutual friend, is that he believes that this was a, a setup. Now, now who set it up? That's a good question. There was a confrontation. They were going to meet with the cops. There are a variety of law enforcement there. And, and they got in a car. This is in the point of impact, uh, if you will. They got in a car, and I remember, it, this is the wildest thing. So, somebody emailed me or, or FaceTimed me or something and said, look, you've got to get online now and watch this video. You have got to watch this video. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because, I mean, I, you know, I, people send me stories all the time, and some of them are really crazy. And so I don't pay attention to everyone who sends me a message. Well, I thought, well, what the heck? I'll watch this video. And I start watching this video of these people in the car, Mr. Finnecum included, and they are people going to meet up with uh, someone. I'm grasping for who it was. And, and um, what they had tried to do was get somebody to intervene on their behalf to act as an intermediary 
to come and negotiate between the federal authorities and the people who had taken over this Federal Reserve. And that person was Franklin Graham. They got him. In fact, I understand that he came. And he actually helped with the communication between the sides. And it was to the extent that these people felt comfortable. I'm trying to, I don't know if I have my timeline correct. But they got in this car, and I'm watching this video, and it's a woman who's doing a live stream of their discussions in this video, and it stops where, or I just remember, the point where Mr. Finnecombe gets out of the car. You can see his hands. He has no gun in his hands. He, he doesn't go anywhere with his hands. And he's shot. And that's what I saw on the video. Now, somebody may look at that during this court proceeding and say, hmm, that doesn't look like what happened. In fact, this X, Y, and Z happened. I don't know. We haven't litigated it yet. And they have these people up on crazy charges. Um, but that's what I saw in that video. And I am not a winger, if you will. I'm a person who believes in I'm a civil libertarian, and um, I like cops. I stick up for cops, but I like my rights even more than I like cops. So I'm very leery of someone who wants to deprive people of their rights. Um, I look with great, I take great umbrage at somebody who tries to do that to me, and I don't like it when they do it to somebody else. I was horrified by that video. I was absolutely horrified by that video. Now, it still could be on YouTube for all I know. Somebody maybe captured it, put it on YouTube. But, um, and I haven't gone to revisit it. This is just my recollection. But you can see, they, she flashes his hands. He's not reaching for anything. In fact, he has his hands. If you want to find a situation in which there's a hands-up, don't-shoot situation, unlike the bogus Michael Brown one in Ferguson, Missouri, this is it. This is beyond troubling. So that's what I know of that case. Um, I know that there's extreme security. This, the officials in Oregon are far more afraid of the people who they believe are uh, real, real uh, right-wing folks, uh, and they're much more concerned about those people because those people insist upon exercising their Second Amendment rights. And the people who are the rabble, literally the rabble on the street, uh, folks who, uh, who vandalize, maraud, they're essentially mobs in the street that frighten people and ruin businesses and set things on fire. They're far less afraid of those people who actually do things that are antisocial and illegal than they are of people who are more right and who are people who are self-sufficient. It's astounding. It, it really is astounding. So that's the mindset of the Oregon officials. Now, not every one of them, because thank goodness it's the sheriffs in Oregon that decide whether or not somebody can get, let's say, a concealed carry. They decide what the open carry laws are. Um, and so, so local control still has some meaning in the state of Oregon. In rural counties and in Multnomah County too. I mean, the, let me let me put it to you this way: I I would already have 
my concealed carry weapons permit in Multnomah County, that's Moscow on the Willamette in Oregon, before I would ever have it in the state of California. I've been on the list to get my concealed carry weapons permit in the state of California, in my county, since December, right after the San Bernardino terror attack. Do you think, and I put myself twice on it, do you think that the Orange County officials have gotten back to me, have uh, reached out, have pinged me back on the email inquiries, because that you're supposed to go online and give them all your information. Do you think they've gotten back to me? Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no, 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 no. Guns, for them, are evil. However, in the state of Oregon, at least they say, people who own guns are not necessarily inherently evil. So i got to give Oregon that. It's ridiculous. Well, you, there have been two incidents that I've heard about in, uh, uh, in Oregon that uh, concerned a couple of reporters. Michael Emery, uh, what can you tell us about that one? Um, well, this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a, a person who's on YouTube who uh, was taken in um, to police custody. And, and beyond that, I, I really don't know. I mean, is an official reporter? I'm not sure he is. Um, but... Um, for instance, in the Strickland case out of Portland, he was a reporter. I mean, he was a uh, reporter for alternative publications online, and he was also a prolific YouTuber. So he at least could say, we could, we, I call him a citizen journalist. In fact, I've taken off citizen. He's a journalist. And um, there's nothing special about that. Um, you, can, you could argue that bloggers are journalists and that people have. So, you know, there is a First Amendment right to be able to convey information. And, 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 and frankly, people who say they're journalists are no more special than anyone else. They exercise the same rights as everyone else. Um, and so uh, the fact that they would mess with this guy and take him into custody, and uh, I, I just, I don't even understand that, frankly. I don't, I don't know enough about that case. I just know tangential information. And I know people whom I respect are very upset about all of this. Um, and I, you know, I just, I, I part company with some of those folks, which is one of the reasons why I have not delved in headfirst into this issue, because I really don't want to fight with my friends. <laughs> you know, so, that, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 because I've had other things that I've had to pay attention to professionally, and then, uh, you know, this is a, a different, this is another situation where uh, that issue is not even on my radar, that particular reporter. Right. You know, Michael Emery basically was, uh, uh, he got really nailed because he happened to be with somebody who they claimed had an automatic weapon, an illegal a Browning semi or Browning automatic weapon. And yeah. what the guy had was a box that contained a repair kit for such a weapon. He didn't have a weapon at all. And he was arrested, the reporter was arrested, and charged with having uh, illegal automatic weapons. And... Uh, you know, this is this is beyond bizarre, but it for, unfortunately it establishes a pattern. And uh, uh, we're about to take another break, but when we come back, I want you to talk about the Michael Strickland case because I know I've looked at your website. By the way, uh, Victoria's website is victoriataft.com, and it's a very, very good site. I was looking at it uh, earlier today. And you can find out about a lot of information that we're going to talk about after the break on that website. And uh, Victoria knows what she's talking about. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to how, how do people access your radio broadcast? Well, I'll be on iTunes soon, um, and I'm doing fill-in right now for different radio stations around, uh, mostly in California. So if, if they just check on my Facebook page, I update where I'm at. Uh, I'll be on KCBQ in San Diego in about a week, and I think that's the only one coming up in the not-too-distant future. And then I'll start my podcast uh, within within weeks. Okay, great. Well, let's, let's, take, yeah. let's take our second break. And uh, before we take the break, I want to uh, tell everybody that there's going to be something exciting tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock Eastern on America's Web Radio. Dr. Ben Carson is going to be here for an interview. Uh, I suggest you tune it in tomorrow if you can. If not, when it's archived, listen in. So we'll take a break now and be back in just a moment. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone. And my guest today is Victoria Taft, who is a, a columnist in uh, PoliticalVanguard.com, uh, and she is a uh, radio talk show host and uh, has an excellent blog and excellent uh, uh, presence on Facebook. In fact, if you want to go to her website, it's uh, victoriataft.com, and that's where you can read about some of the things that we're going to talk about in a minute. The uh, situation, Victoria, with Mike Strickland. Now, that you have a column on on your blog right now, and you've apparently been keeping up with this. And I, I was doing it, looking at what you wrote and doing some research on it myself. And, and this is just incredible to me. But unfortunately, it is an indication of what is 
about to happen in this country, what's already happening in this country. I'm right now writing a, a column for my blog, which will be posted the next day or two, at michaelconnolly.jzjigsy.com. And I'm going to be talking about things that are going on to take away our Second Amendment rights in this country that have been going on for several years, as some of which I've been writing about. But a lot is happening right now under the radar that we don't know about. But this case of, of Mike Strickland, tell us about that case, Victoria. It started when Mike Strickland covered, as he so often does, the leftist in the city of Portland. In this case, the Black Lives Matter, Don't Shoot Portland people, who are, by the way, I think we all know, we're all adults here, are all the same people who show up every Friday at 4 for some sort of crazy uh, banging on the drum, drum circle, hey, hey, ho, ho, fill in the blank has got to go. Well, today, this day, which is July 7th, the issue was don't shoot Portland and the recent police-involved shootings. And so um, this was an event that was hosted by the usual suspects from the far left, including, by the way, a pep talk by the new Black Panther Party, which was interesting. This was a mixed, mixed bag here in terms of the new Black Panther Party involvement because while they riled up the crowd in advance, including, if you see me move, I will be moving in violence, and you might have to blank someone up and go after them, words to that effect. So this was the, this was the pre-function for the big protest rally, which took place on the steps of the federal courthouse, which is, by the way, where the folks who are on trial for the uh, Hammond situation are. So... We had this a group of, uh, I don't know, I guess a few hundred people, a couple hundred, few hundred people. And Mike Strickland was doing what Mike Strickland does, covering the left. And he showed up and started videotaping the proceedings and had made a mockery of these people, which is what he does. His stock and trade is he basically holds up the camera and shows the left to what they are. In some cases, people who don't make a heck of a lot of sense. And sometimes he cajoles them, and sometimes he has bad manners, but everything he does is legal, and he doesn't beat anyone up or touch them or what have you. Okay. So this is what he was doing, videotaping these these guys, and it was decided, I am told, prior to the event, that the far lefties, protesters, including not just Black Lives Matter folks, but the uh, official anarchist people, people who dress up in black attire with scarves over their mouth and carry sticks with black flags on them. The black block folks wanted to get back at Mike Strickland for something he'd done in a previous video with which they disagreed. I actually watched the video, and forgive me, I can't remember what the deal was, but these are very thin-skinned people. And like I say, he shows them for who they are, and they don't like it very much when they look like the idiots they are. So, there you are. So, they decided apparently in advance, I'm told by the people who were there and who know these people, that Mike Strickland was going to be targeted. A small group of protesters, including anarchists, black bloc people, new Black Panther 
folks and others broke off from the main group where wonderful speeches were given about how terrible cops are. I say that with sarcasm. And they broke off and started running after Strickland. This is when, this was before then he was in the crowd taking video. And the people who wanted to get back at her started back at him, started jostling him. The black block protesters who were covered and their identities covered by their scarves took their flags and began poking him and assaulting him. And they broke off and started going after him. And it was after, you know, he put up with it for a while. He was taking video because he figured, well, I'm going to capture them in their element. These people are nuts. And I'm going to catch them doing what they do best, being crazy. So he put up with it for a while as he backed away. They stopped assaulting him. And then all of a sudden, a person he claims started going, had, had assaulted him previously. And the black bloc flag holders started running after him. And that's when he went, uh, yeah, this is not happening. No, they are not going to get their hands on me. Uh, this is over. And they started going after him. And you can see this on the video, which we go to victoriataft.com. I have several stories about the Strickland issue. And I provide not just the video. I provide frame-by-frame coverage of what these people did. And we don't have Mike's video of the event. Why? Because police have confiscated it. And all of us involved in Mike's case believe that in all likelihood that will somehow accidentally, quote-unquote, be lost. Nevertheless, these people assaulted him. They started coming after him, and he reached for his Glock. I think he has a Glock. Um, it was a you know semi-automatic pistol, 9 millimeter, And he unholstered his gun, and for what looks to be about four seconds, held back the crowd, panning across the crowd, and especially at this one guy in his direction who had just spent time assaulting him. And then you have to understand, this guy is probably... 300 pounds if he's a pound. And he might be 5'8". I don't know how tall he is. He looks short. And so this guy had the girth on him to do real and actual harm to Strickland. And if we want to go back, we can go back a year previous when an anti-gun documentarian who turned out to be a protester interviewed Mike, and Mike confronted him because he had an ulterior motive for doing this particular documentary. And Mike was confronting him with this in a public place at a restaurant, had his camera going. Now, mind you, this is a year before. Had his camera going, and the guy, uh, when they all left the restaurant in the parking lot, the guy jumped him and beat him senseless, broke his arm in three places, putting him in the hospital. He was unable to work for months and lost wages. I mean, he makes money on his videos. And he was unable to write for the website, uh, the national website that, for which he writes. And so he had this in mind. He thought, oh, hell no. This is not happening. You're not going to get your hands on me, Mr. 300-pound guy. You're not going to get your hands on me, Black Block. And he pulled out his gun. And he immediately, upon 
within four seconds, he reholstered his weapon at the behest of a another documentary, a video taper, who said, hey, man, put the gun back. And because everyone stopped coming forward, he did. Then Strickland starts backing up, up the street. And why did he back up? Well, two reasons. He didn't want to turn his back on the crowd because they'd jump him, because they'd already shown themselves willing to jump him, willing to hurt him, willing to assault him. And there was another reason. His backpack, which he carried all of his equipment, you know, he literally had hundreds if not thousands of dollars of equipment in his backpack. If someone had grabbed it and thrown it to the ground, he would have been sunk. So he chose to back up, up the, side, uh, up the street, and he's in the street. And so initially, even the Black Panther guys held their powder and did not follow him. Even those guys stopped and did not pursue him. But eventually, there were other people who decided, oh, we're going to go hassle this guy, which included, eventually, the, the guy from the new Black Panther Party who can be seen on video telling everybody, when I move, I'm moving in violence. Coming and trying to intimidate and chase away, if you will, Strickland, which was perfectly, I mean, getting him out of there was fine, except he was doing it in such a way that he was trying to intimidate him. And that's the way this scene went down. Someone called the cops. Cops came. You know, he, he lay down voluntarily. They patted him down. They took him. They didn't even cite him. They, the cops did not even cite Michael Strickland that day for pulling his weapon for four seconds and not discharging it. Um, what happened was, ultimately, he went to court, and uh, eventually the, uh, the DA's office said, well, okay, so we're going to charge you with two counts of two misdemeanor counts. Then he went to court, and the DA's office said, well, we've heard that he's, you know, he has said rude things to people. Therefore, we think he's dangerous, and he should be charged with two felony counts. And we want his bail raised to $250,000. Mind you, he has never been in trouble with the law, ever. Mind you, the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office, even when confronted with taped evidence of that man a year prior beating him up and causing him great bodily injury, whereupon he did not draw his weapon, but they refused to prosecute that guy. Now we have Mike Strickland, a year later, being charged with felonies and a quarter of a million dollars bail. Say what? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Like, you're charging, you're, you're holding me on the bail that you have for rapists, for people who have committed assault with a deadly weapon? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, let's, they were hold, that, hold that thought, Victoria. Let's take our final break, and then we'll talk about this some more. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate 
on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to our final segment. Uh, before I talk more with my guest, Victoria Taft, I want to remind everybody that, again, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, Dr. Ben Carson is going to be interviewed uh, right here on America's Web Radio. So I encourage everyone to listen in on that. And if you can't listen to it when it's broadcast live, listen to it once it gets archived, because I've got a feeling it's going to be a very interesting interview. Now, my guest today is Victoria Taft, who is, lives in the state of California, but previously lived in Oregon, uh, where she won a... Uh, Awards Radio Broadcast for the Year, and uh, her website is Victoria Taft. That's T A F T. dot com, and I suggest you go to that website. She's talks on the website about some of the things that uh, we're talking about here today. And Victoria, let me see if I understand this correctly. Mike Strickland has a concealed weapons permit to carry a weapon, right? Correct. Okay, and he pulled that weapon. When he was being threatened by some people, the Black Lives Matter, Black Panther protesters, and anarchists, and these, you know, people, a lot of them had their faces covered. I can remember, you know, I was raised in the South, and I can remember the liberal media to this day raising hell about the Ku Klux Klan uh, being a bunch of cowards because they always had their faces covered. They always had their, right. their foot on. And I, you know, I agreed with that. I, I agreed with it. I, I had no use for the Ku Klux Klan or any of the things they stood for. But now, suddenly, anarchists, BLM, Black Panthers, they can cover their faces, and that's perfectly all right for the liberal, liberal media. But if I'm being if I'm being faced by that, I would react the same way Mike Strickland reacted, particularly if they're coming after me. And that I would I would pull a concealed weapon. So Mike pulls his concealed weapon, then later he's arrested for that, charged with a couple of misdemeanors, and then the DA basically comes back and says, Well, you know, he said rude things about people, so we're gonna charge him with a felony. 
Does that pretty much sum it, it up? It does. And in fact, it wasn't just rude things he might have said that day. It was a previous report wherein a woman uh, said, well, he sent me a text. I don't even know if this is true. I, I don't even know if Mike knows these people's phone numbers. But it's a woman who was a far-left person who was, quote-unquote, offended by something Strickland had said, and she felt, she, felt, she felt so offended that she thought she might be in danger. Now, who knows if that's true? I mean, first of all, Strickland, um, he's a bit of a pussycat. But nevertheless, um, he supposedly offended this woman to the extent that word got back to the DA, and all of a sudden, we've got two misdemeanor counts up to two felony counts which carry years in prison. I mean, are you kidding me? These people, it, they took the word of a far leftist mob to put this guy in even greater legal harm. And they took their word for it. I mean, it's just not stunning. And by the way, you ought to read the indictment. The indictment describes these people. Woman in hoodie with scarf over face. Man with scarf over face. These are their witnesses. This is the far left witnesses saying, well, you know, I felt, I felt like I was in danger. And you can see uh, on my website, over at victoriacap.com, there are breakdowns of some of these tapes that, that the far left, by the way, took. That's all we have, the far left tapes, wherein the people said, nah, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, or, you know, I didn't feel in danger, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, we're supposed to take the mob, mob's word for it? I mean, it, you know, if, look, I mean, I'm, I'm all for people asserting their rights, and I'm, if somebody is wronged, they need to say so to the police. But I don't believe some of these people because that woman lied to get him even more legal problem. At least I believe so. And so that word, hearsay evidence, entered in, well, just sort of a, in fact, it was like derivative hearsay evidence. Well, you know, it was a text and he might have meant something by it and I felt frightened or something. And all of a sudden now, He's a dangerous, dangerous individual. And by the way, as a result of that dangerous individual, we now have to, you know, put him up on $250,000 bail, a quarter of a million dollars bail. And, and he sat in jail for days because we couldn't come up with the money to get him out. And finally, finally, um, somebody went through Oregon Firearms Federation and made bail right before his bail hearing, which I always thought was a bit odd, but nevertheless. I mean, don't you wait for them to reduce the bail before you pay the bail, but that's just me. I'm just a very practical lady. And uh, so he's out awaiting his next court appearance, which is at, as his defense attorney, the Trotter Group, um, one of his defense, defense attorneys said, the prosecutors want to have a settlement conference. This is not, I repeat, not at the behest of the defense attorneys. So they'll sit down at a settlement conference called for by the prosecution, and um, they will try to cajole um, arm twists and do everything they can to get him to engage in a plea, plea bargain, which will be 
thoroughly, totally against his better, uh, against my better judgment, and I think it's not in his best interest. Um, but, you know, this is an interesting thing. So I was watching the other day, I was watching a uh, Dinesh D'Souza uh, video, one of his lectures, which I encourage anybody to do. And he was, I think it was at Louisiana State University, if I'm not mistaken. Or, no, correction, he was in Wisconsin. And uh, not that there's anything alike. But nevertheless, same leftist probably on campus, though. So Dinesh D'Souza says, you know, I've rethought a lot of things about uh, my uh, pro-American attitude after being thrown in prison, by the way, because of a campaign finance um, charge that is never jailed. I mean, people are never jailed for this, but okay. So he says, I've really rethought things, and I, and I think that there is an institutional bias against some people, and this is what he meant. There's Something must be done, he said. Something must be done about the plea bargain aspect of the jurisprudence system. Because as we found out with Mike Strickland, what did they do? They, threw, they have thrown everything against the wall to see what sticks. And they're going to have this little dog and pony of a settlement conference coming up next month. And they're going to say, okay, here's the shakedown, without using those words. Here's the shakedown. We want you to plead guilty to a lesser offense so we can get a win. There's a reason why federal prosecutors and prosecutors in general have a 95% conviction rate. And why is that? Because everything's plea bargained. And they get him to say, well, and, and Dinesh D'Souza said, I was in prison in this lockup facility with people who had done hard crimes, and they hadn't even actually, in some cases, done the crime, but they had pled guilty to a lesser offense to get home to their families a little bit sooner, to get out from being, instead of being... Uh, taking their chances in court and, and possibly getting a 10-year sentence, getting a one-year sentence, one day, one year or one day, so they have to go to prison, something like that. He says, and that is a huge issue. This is what they're going to do to Mike Strickland. If he goes to court next next month, this is what they're going to try to do. I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to um, attempt to dissuade his defense attorneys from engaging in, in uh, anything of that nature. If they swear to me up and down, they won't. Um, well, they, they need to be, have it pointed out to them what happened to the Hammond family, where they accepted okay. a plea bargain for a smaller charge, lesser charge, and then the judge came back and sentenced them yes. under a greater charge that they had not pled guilty to. Because they can do that. Because, because guess what? The judge says, hey, wait a minute. I didn't engage yep. in that plea bargain. The prosecutors engaged in that plea bargain. I am not beholden. I am not held to that plea bargain. So guess what? Ain't nothing happening. I hope and pray that his attorneys don't capitulate and, and allow that to happen. I don't think they will. Then trial begins ostensibly in um, um, in October. Now, here's a 21-count indictment against this kid. He's 36 years old. He's a kid to me. There's a 21-count indictment because they threw everything they could against the wall to see what would stick in Mike Strickland. And it's the same 10 people. This guy with scarf over head who wears gray hoodie. These are their plaintiffs. These are the people who've been, uh, these are the victims. And so that's what we're dealing with here. 
let's just see what happens. So they'll sit well, down and go, hey, you got, we got 21 charges against you, Mike. What are you going to do? You're going to do that or you're going to... You know, you're going to say, I'm guilty of one thing, so you can go, and we can, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just forget the whole thing, and then, and then uh, you can go on with your life? No. You know what happens? He will not be able to carry a concealed weapon. He will not be able to go on school grounds, which is where he plies most of his trades, at universities uh, at Portland State University and the TCC. He will not be able to do any number of things. Vote. He will not be able to vote. Yeah. I'm, you know, that's, that's a travesty. This is something we we need to wrap it up now, Victoria. But uh, let me tell you this: this is something the United States Justice Foundation. This is the type of thing we work on on the appellate level. So I'm going to take a look at this stuff on your website, including the indictment and everything. And if his attorneys are interested in getting some of our input at this point, uh, I'll be glad to do that because this is the type of con- constitutional issue we work on. And thank you so much for being on today. Uh, I look forward to having you come back again, do another show with us, and uh, you keep up the good work, okay? And again, people, if uh, you want to check out her website, it's victoriataft.com. And she also has a Facebook site and a Twitter account. So go check her out and see what she's writing about. And thank you again, Victoria. Looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Good. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.